Hi, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. For months, we take time to prepare and educate ourselves on this new adventure of motherhood. But as we all know, once the baby is born, we're still left with so many questions and need all the help we can get. Women really should have a sense of empowerment as they begin to experience these life-changing moments. And no one mother has it all figured out. However, the more informed we are, the better decisions we can make that will positively affect us and our family. And that's what this podcast is about. Sharing honest, raw, and real conversations about motherhood, life, and all of the crazy, messy, beautiful in-betweens to hopefully educate, empower, and support the next mother on her motherhood journey. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I am Nicole Cumberbatch. I am on with a very special guest, Miss Caitlin Johnson. She is a foster parent recruiter for Sapphire of Nevada. And Caitlin has also been a licensed foster parent herself and adopted children through this experience. Her experience in the child welfare and trauma-informed space include program design, web design, community program management, graphic design, and marketing campaigns. The mission of SAFI, or S-A-F-Y, is to preserve families and secure futures. And since 1984, they have worked to ensure that every child and family can reach their full potential. And did I say that right? Is it SAFI? How does it go by? SAFI. Oh, Safi. Okay, well, there we go. Okay, Caitlin, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on. Before we jump into the full conversation, what is your favorite book? What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Okay, nice. What is your superpower? Hyperfocus, which is also my downfall. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can see. What are the values that guide you in your family or that guide you in your life? Yeah, I think our family core values are respect, progress, and adventure. Nice. And since you have fostered children as well as adopted, what has motherhood taught you? Oh, it's taught me that no matter how many classes I've taken or books I've read or all of that, that kids will have new curveballs every day. (laughs) That is 100% correct. Okay, (laughs) so before we dive um, dive into Safi, why don't you mention to my listeners a little bit more about you, hobbies, family, maybe your ages of your children and education, and then we'll go into your work with Safi. Awesome. Yeah. So I have been a foster parent for all ages from zero all the way to aging out at 18. So all ages and stages. And I've also been a homeschool parent, a private school parent, a charter school parent, a public school parent, and then this year we added magnet school parent. So I have touched all of that for the different kids based on their needs and what's the best fit for them. I also did previously work in education, but my background is in marketing. So I worked in admissions for a private school. And I'm working on my master's in macro social work. Wow. Okay. So you've worked with many different ages and stages with with children. That's amazing. Yes. So then tell me, how did you get started with SAFI? What does it stand for? Yeah. How did you become connected with the organization? Yeah. So SAFI stands for Specialized Alternatives for Families and Youth. We actually came to know them through our My Foster Care journey and needing additional supports for some of the kids that were in the home. And SAFI provided those supports. So we became licensed with SAFI and worked with them as a foster parent for about three years. And then right when I was closing my license due to adoption is when they had the position opening for foster parent recruiter, which is essentially underneath their marketing department. And so it just became a nice, a nice jump from one position to the other. (laughs) 
Wow. So you actually became, see, and in my mind reading this, I'm like, oh, well, maybe through Safi, she became a foster parent. So you actually jumped into being a foster parent before becoming connected with the organization. May I ask what made you go that direction and want to foster and adopt, which is absolutely amazing that you do that. But what was the journey and the inspiration behind that? Yeah. So my parents actually adopted one of my siblings and they were not prepared. (laughs) They were not They didn't have the supports. They didn't have the education for the needs that that sibling needed. Having seen that and growing up with that, I kind of always had it as my mission to be the person who knows what they're getting into. And so that's what I always knew I was going to do. As soon as I was old enough to get licensed at 21, I got licensed and got my first placement of kids and have basically been doing it ever since now. The way the rules work in the county that I'm in, I can't be licensed through the same agency that I work at. So I'm not licensed currently, but I do still provide respite, which is short-term care. Wow, that's amazing. Parenthood is very difficult. So anyone that can do that with something that's not their blood relative, I think is something that's so special. What are some misconceptions people have about teenagers and teenagers within the foster care system? I think with teenagers in general, I think they're a very misunderstood age group, which I know is like the cliche thing. Nobody understands me that teenagers will say, but I think there's truth to it. I think we've seen parenting shift in the way that we treat uh, and talk about toddlers. And instead of this frustration, oh, toddlers are just jerks, we've, we've shifted to they're learning about the world around them, which is wonderful. And I love seeing that. But I think that's still so true for our teenagers as well. They're learning. They're figuring out the world. Like they are just as clueless as our toddlers. It's just different things that they're experiencing for the first time and learning as teenagers. So I think there's just that general misconception for teenagers across the board. But then to go into those that are in foster care, I think they're often seen as like the bad kids or the troubled kids. When reality, they're just kids that have experienced difficult things. I also would be a distrustful teenager if I've been bounced around from house to house. I also would backtalk if I had been bounced around from house to house. And so they're products of their environment and what they've experienced. And that's all it is at the end of the day for most of our kids. The circumstances, they weren't They didn't ask to be in the circumstances that they were put into, right? And I think you make such a poignant point in saying, and it's so true. It's like the way the conversation has shifted. My son is only four, but over the years and seeing how, you know, yeah, we're trying in toddlerhood to to create these skills so that when they get older, they know how to handle it, which is amazing. And yes, we should start from when they're young, but what happens to that core group that has not had that has not had that or the parents that didn't get that and didn't know when their child was four or five, there is that that generation or that age block that kind of missed out on that because you don't know what you don't know, right? So that's such a poignant point. And it's something that I am trying to do with my podcast with the Motherhood Village, because I have friends who have older children and they're like, hey, what about us? You know, like, where do we come in And, you know, we don't know how to navigate social media. We don't know how to deal with teenagers' moods. We don't know how to deal with all of this. So is this something that Safi provides overall? Is it something or the services that they provide, I guess you can touch on. If someone like me, if I had a teenager that wasn't in foster care, tell me all about what Safi does, what they provide, and how they help families. Yeah, so most of our SAFI offices were located in seven different states. So that's Alabama, South Carolina, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, 
Colorado and then Nevada, where I am. So most of our offices do offer outpatient mental health. Not every single office, so you'll have to look at what's in your area, but we do have those outpatient mental health services for any children in the home, whether you're a foster parent with us or not. So you can definitely look into those services to support and even just to attend some of the trainings to get you know, a better grasp of that stage of parenting. Cause like you said, it doesn't matter like what, how you came into it. Parenting teens is its own beast. And even as an agency and as someone who's been trained, there's always new stuff, especially with technology that staying, you can never stay caught up enough, you know? So <laughs> having those extra resources available to you, always beneficial. So we do have that for outpatient for anybody, as well as trainings that anybody can attend. And then we also have our foster parent program. And then that has more wraparound services for those teens. Wow, that's amazing. And to touch base on to get a little bit more back, because I want now that I have you here, let's talk about these misconceptions. Let's talk about, you know, foster care. How can parents who are listening create a balance of respecting the autonomy and independence of teens while also helping them make good choices. Yeah. So a lot of, at least in my experience, parenting teens is hoping that everything you did before they were teens sinks in. You know, (laughs) it's a lot of just, we've spent all this time working on those core skills of, you know, whether that be kindness, you know, giving and all of those things that we want our kids to exhibit and then hoping they do it because you really don't have that much control over what your kids do once they're teenagers because they're at school or wherever. So I think really building that healthy balance of respecting their autonomy while also being the parent is just keeping really open conversations and being very clear with the goalpost. I think one thing we hear a lot is kids teenagers don't really grasp where that goalpost is. So an example is my teenager really wants a cell phone. My teenager currently does not have the skill set to have a cell phone and manage it healthily, which is fine. They're just not there yet. So what we've talked about is, okay, I need to see impulse control. I need to see open communication about what you're doing online. I need to see, you know, X, Y, Z instead of just, well, you're not responsible enough. Because if I just say that, then that teenager is going to go and use his friend's phone or, you know, whatever that might look like. When I'm very clear about, and this is why, I'm able to respect that, okay, now they know. Now it's in their hands. They can try to meet that goal or not. (laughs) I can't make them. But we're working together to make sure that they have the skill sets they need to reach the goals that they want to reach and that we want them to reach. I'd love to be able to text them. It'd be way easier. You know, even you talking about that makes me think again of my son, because we always have this joke that like he's four going on like 12 or 13. And I think every generation kind of starts out, they're young, but they act a bunch older, you know? So I think about that. I'm like, teens are just really like older toddlers. (laughs) And then adults are just like older, like teenage, you know, like in the sense of, I think the core is always there and it's still the same treat them like they're human beings, make, don't make them feel like they're children or that they don't understand. And it's in essence, a lot of the same thing. And I know for me, if if remembering as a young child, one of the things that always stuck with me and that I always appreciate with my parents is that they always had honest conversation and they kind of kept it real. And they allowed my sister and I to have a safe space to 
kind of speak our mind still within reason because I you know there were still like it's because I said so and there are certain things and now I'm trying to amplify that because I think in 2022 it's even more important that we need to have open communication with our children especially teenagers because they have so much available. So even if you're not giving your child a cell phone, their friend could have a cell phone and then they're Googling, you know, they can still have access to information that we never had access to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very scary thing to navigate as a parent and figure it out. But I think to your point, if the communication is there and again, you're treating them like the young adult they are and say, here, this is clear, this is what we need. You get more with that than like you said, just being like, no, you can't get it. I said so. It, it's just leaving room for, I think, just for more of a disaster to come and just for more, what do you call it when someone's kind of butting heads with you, right? You're just adding just more fuel kind of to And then the, the second, to piggyback off of that, how can parents build relationships with their teen or teens? And how can they help their teen build healthy relationship with others? And I'll say that's even more important now because everything is social media. I, you know, they say teens are spending more time either solo or they have relationships, but they don't really have relationships because they're not having the one-on-one time. So what would your tips or advice be? And what have you seen, you know, through with what you have with uh, Safi and your own personal experiences? Yeah. So the, obviously there's no like one answer that's going to be perfect to build a relationship with all teens. <laughs> So, you know, anyone listening, let's lower the bar of expectation. I would say the main thing is really just being authentic and modeling your real self. When we have kids that are coming into care at older ages or coming into your home at older ages, you are very, very cognizant of the fact that they're coming with their own life experiences. They're coming with their own background, with their own life that they've had outside of you before you even knew they existed and before they they ever knew you existed. And I think that same mindset, of course, we do know for kids that have been in our homes since birth or since they were little, we know what their upbringing's been like. But I think still remembering that everything they've experienced has been from their perspective. And so now you're having to meet them as one person with more life experience and another person with their own but shorter life experience as well. And so I think it's modeling when we mess up and saying, you know what, I messed up. I'm sorry. Um, Apologizing. I feel like that's something that our parents' generation never would have done. (laughs) Uh, Apologize to us when they've messed up. And then being really open about relationships that have been positive or negative. Or, you know, when I was in high school, I dated this person and this is how I was too codependent on them or, you know, whatever that might look like to be really truthful with them so they feel safe to do the same. This generation of Gen Z and Gen Alpha, I think, is a generation that sees through fakeness or masks better than anyone. They sure do. They see through the BS. Absolutely. And so I think just that really raw, honest conversation of, look, I'm trying as best... This is your first time being a 13-year-old. This is my first time parenting you as a 13-year-old. I've parented your sibling as a 13-year-old, but they're very different. And, you know, just being really open and working collaboratively, I think is the best we can do as parents. 
Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, I think as parents, we hate to hear, but it's like the ego gets into place. I know any times I've gotten frustrated with my son when I really, really touch base of why it's something ego with me. It really wasn't that. It was something either had to do or I was mad at myself because I should have been more prepared. But now because he's doing this and it's a whole thing. But I think a lot of it goes back to ego. And to your point, yeah, we didn't really always hear get apologies or, you know, weren't told certain things. And I think that can go a long way with the children as well. Swallowing our pride as parents is so hard. (laughs) It's so hard. And I don't know why, because we want our kids to be able to do that. Like when we know we've caught them messing up or doing something they weren't supposed to, you know, even if it's little and something they're not going to be in trouble with, you're like, okay, just fess up. Right. But then we as parents are, how do I get around (laughs) doing, having this conversation without taking the blame? But that's not what we need to do as parents, you know, but we do it instinctually, I think, or maybe that's just me, but I feel like it's more universal. (laughs) It is because I think it's been programmed that that's, again, what it has to be. You know, the exception was, yes, maybe a parent back then, how we grew up was, you know, maybe you did have some parents that kind of had some of this open communication or did apologize or had that. But for the most part, it wasn't because they didn't know any better. You know, really now is it coming out that you hear the peaceful parenting, the conscious parenting, all these like sexy words now that we hear, um, I kind of am a little bit of both. I think I'm traditional mixed with progressive when it comes to that. I think that there are some traditional things, but still, when I look at some of my traditional stuff, a lot of it is also in the behavior. And again, I can see sometimes when it is my ego and my pride that gets in the way. And I'm like, okay, why did I react like that? Was it really because XYZ is something he did? Or was, again, my ego and my pride making it... taking it times 10 and it didn't really need to go there for whatever reason. Like you said, we have to be right. You know, it's been programmed and it's like the parent is here and the child is here. And really we're just two human beings. One is just has, hasn't been on the world as, as long as we have. (laughs) That's it. And we're just here to guide them to be like good, productive members of society. Absolutely. And as parents in this day and time, I think so much that we do is out of, care and love, of course, but it's also out of fear because there's so much that we know is out there. And so we can be very reactive. And I think even just being honest about that, like my teenager goes off with his friends and in the evenings when it gets dark, it makes me very nervous. So finally, instead of just constantly getting stressed every time he didn't come home, the second I thought he was supposed to be home, I had a conversation of, I'm getting very anxious. I would just like you to check in. And then that was it. He was like, oh, that makes sense. And we moved on. And, you know, it's having those conversations and being able to say, like, oh, my gosh, this is just my fear. Like, I know you're probably fine out there, but my head's like you're dead in a ditch. So let's have a conversation about how we can both be happy in this situation where you can have your freedom and go hang out with your friends. And I can be rest assured that you're fine and just being a normal kid. (laughs) I love it. And it's something so simple as that. But, yeah, like thinking about it, like. I think maybe my mom did express because my mom was always that kind of mom and she was always a worry war in that way. And now being a mom, I definitely understand, you know, it's like these fears come on us that we're like, where the heck did they come from? But gosh, that's so powerful and so easy. You're like, wait a minute. I'm like freaking out. I'm yelling at him. Why are you late? He's not understanding. Let me just tell him how I feel. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. And then problem solved. And you're like, oh, wow, maybe I should have done that like a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
And I know you mentioned, you know, that people have this kind of misconception that when teenagers end up in the foster care system, and one of them being, you know, that there might be trouble or something like that. Are there any other misconceptions that you kind of want to squash here? Because yeah, I mean, even me, I'm not a foster parent. It's something that I sound that's amazing, that that sounds amazing to do because it's such a selfless act. But yeah, it would be kind of scary and overwhelming to be like, wow, this person who is a complete stranger in my home. So please speak on some of the misconceptions on that and and that maybe you have this platform to say here this this has been my experience with it because i i in hearing you speak i'm like wow maybe that is something i would do in the future right i never thought of it because i don't know not that it's always has a negative connotation but it, it can be something that sounds scary so now that you're here please speak on anything else that maybe you felt like you want to kind of get out and then the follow-up to that will be any tips for families that would like to foster children, specifically teenagers, or even adopt. A lot of the what we hear about teenagers is that they're scary, which, to be honest, all teenagers are scary, whether you've birthed them or, you know, wherever. But our teenagers are still someone else's baby, you know? That's still someone's kid that they're not with right now. And so really realizing that through the process that you are getting to care for this child until they can go home and be safe or be with family and be safe is it's really powerful but it's something that we have to be mindful of if i'm like i mentioned before if i'm a teenager that's been bounced around from house to house to house and again kids come into foster care teens come into foster care because of choices that adults have made Teenagers and children will never come into care because of choices that they've made. There's not a single circumstance that would put them in that position. It is always decisions that have been outside of their control. And so you're, you've been removed from your family now. You're going to a new school probably. You're living with strangers. There's probably going to be some attitude, right? <laughs> but why wouldn't there be, you know? And I think once you start building the relationship – is when you can have a really successful experience. And that's easier with some kids than others. And, you know, it's important that you work with an agency to find, you know, personalities that are going to click well, because yeah, you're moving two strangers in together. If you moved me today into your house, I would probably be like, what? Because I don't know you. And that's the same thing our kids are experiencing. And so it's really important that we build those foundations of the priority when they first move in is not to make sure they don't roll their eyes, they don't talk back, they don't whatever. It's to build a relationship so that later on you can have those conversations of don't roll your eyes, <laughs> don't talk back. <laughs> you have to build that relationship first. I would imagine the relationship, the trust. Well, I think you had mentioned that, yeah, like really that they know you know, they already have the bad rap too. that, okay, this is just another person. They're probably whatever going to flake or not caring. And I would imagine what are some of the skill sets to be a foster parent? And I say that because I think it's like anything else. If you're going to be a leader, a manager, anything that you're going to do in life, I actually had a leadership coach that actually focused on family leadership and showing how it starts from the home. And I was like, oh God, that's such a awesome concept because she's like, you know, I think we hear leadership and we think in the corporate world, but many people don't get the leadership skills till they are adults. She's like, that needs to come from children age. And I was like, oh, wow. And so to speak on some of those things too, like what, what skill sets or, you know, is it just the patience and to be open for that and to kind of work? Cause I was, I would imagine if this is something you're going to do, it's something you have to think through something you have to apply for and to really be there. So I guess, yeah. What are some tips there that if a parent's going to go 
and they did want to adopt, like I said before, my second part of the previous question, what are some tips for parents that want to adopt specifically teenagers? And then what are some of those skill sets or things that you feel like they should develop on or maybe even work on themselves? Is it going to therapy, right? And kind of fixing whatever stuff they got going on in their side of things, their end of things? Yeah, I think as a parent, kids will trigger you and it's no different with our kids that they will bring up all of the things that we didn't realize were there and so i think one being willing to face those things which sometimes we're not in a place to do that and if you're not that's okay but we need to be aware that this you know this is what's going to happen when you have kids in your home whether you're biological adopted foster care whatever and so i think really being open to being self-reflective i think being willing to constantly learn. I think with each kid that comes into your home, there's going to be new things you have to learn, whether it's new therapeutic parenting advice that you're getting, new whatever, because every kid's different. And then the last thing I would say is just being able to roll with the punches. If you're someone who takes everything really, really personally, and so that teenager that's talking back or calling you names is going to really be difficult for you this might not be the best path for you <laughs> no that's true because like i said i mean you have that's a that's a conscious decision for someone to very much come on and say yes i want to be a foster parent and all of these things but to your point there's certain things that you got to think of beforehand and yeah I, I like that not taking it personal because like you said kids trigger they trigger trigger and we don't realize and i don't i don't think you do realize till you become a parent in whatever capacity that is or maybe even a caregiver of children because i think you know if i was with my niece and and taking care of her often I'd be like oh wow or maybe in a teacher or whatever that would you know yeah you're like okay I, I get to bring give them back but at some level there's something that's going to creep up right something that's going to make you reactive so thank you for sharing that ladies are you tired of feeling overworked and under recognized for your impact at work And are you curious about how to do the inner work to own your worth so you can feel confident making the bold asks, negotiating for more, and creating your ideal career? Ashley Perret, a previous guest, is a successful leadership and negotiation coach who is offering you the special opportunity to experience the power of private coaching with her. She will give you the tools necessary to grow your career in your own terms by being authentic in tough conversations, building bridges through negotiation, and trusting that no is not the end. Head over to www.ownyourworth.com to book an exclusive 30-minute private consultation. Um, And then to the adoption part of it, there are hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of teenagers in care right now across the U.S. that are available for adoption because the teenagers are often the overlooked group. So if that's something you're interested, I highly recommend reaching out to the closest agency to you um, and then determining post-adoption services. So agencies like SAFI still provide services once kids are adopted so that we're able to continue that support. Making sure that you have that in place to have a successful adoption story is really important so that it's not just like, okay, here, you've signed the papers. Here's your kid. Good luck. (laughs) Because adoption comes with its own trauma. You're being replaced your parental figure is being replaced permanently. And that's a lot to process for adults, nonetheless, kids. So really looking for agencies, SAFI or other agencies that are in your area that can support you even once the paperwork is finalized. 
Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else that you want to speak on when it comes to Safi? Anything that you, you know, that kind of comes to mind, maybe even a personal experience you want to share? Because I know you said you've had, you know, all different levels and, and different seasons and things, which again, I find so fascinating. But anything that you want to share before we kind of get into like the habits and a little bit more about Caitlin? The difference with Safi is the services. Each office, like I said earlier, as far as like therapy, is going to offer different services. But across the board, we have things like case management. So they're checking in on you and the kids and making sure that you have all the resources that you need. There's sounding boards. There's, you know, all of that. We have crisis helplines so that 24-7, even if on the weekend, whether it's your kids triggered and they're melting down and <laughs> you're in a target and you need help <laughs> or you just need somebody to vent to that's going to get it. I think a lot of times foster parents feel kind of isolated because their friends that aren't in that world will say things like, well, just give the kid back. And that's not what a foster parent in crisis needs to hear. You know, a foster parent in crisis needs somebody that can say, you're doing a great job. Breathe. Yeah. We, we will make it through this target meltdown together. and someone to just be there for them in those circumstances. We also have additional training. So our foster parents are going through therapeutic parenting practices. So they're learning how to de-escalate things when kids are stressed and overwhelmed. They're learning about working with IEPs and schools and working with the biological families and how to support them and It's just a really beautiful wraparound system. So finding those resources in your community is crucial to being able to foster well so that you don't feel like you're on that isolated island by by yourself. I love it. And then, yeah, like you said, I think the support, right, really creating that village. Because, yeah, I can see that a parent calling and, you know, your friend like, okay, well, you know, why are you going through all of that stress? Like, why put yourself through that? Just give them back and get another kid, which... I'm sure plenty do here and then the unfortunate cycle. So yeah, if they can go to a place that has the resources for them and says, no, let us help you. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Now you, are you all a nonprofit organization? Do you get, you know, do you guys maintain through donations and things like that? Yeah. So we are a nonprofit organization and then we are contracted with the states that we are in to provide the foster care services. So our funding comes from the state and then our additional programs like we have independent living for our teenagers so that they're able to age out successfully and are set with job skills and job training and things like that. That's grant funded. We do respite care, which is sometimes grant funded as well, depending on the state. We do reunification celebrations. So when kids get to go home with their parents, we have big parties and we give gift baskets and we're able to celebrate with them. Yeah. So there's just lots of little things. So we do grant funding. We have donations. We have the state funding. And then a lot of our offices bill Medicaid for the therapy services and stuff. So we get the insurance as well. That's great because I would imagine something of that magnitude would need a lot to like continue to go. Now, do you guys hope or does the organization hope to expand to other states? Do you partner with other agencies? So like you didn't mention Florida. So like, do you know of an agency that you could say, hey, look, Safi isn't there, but partner with XYZ? We usually will refer people to NMT, which is the Neurosequential Model of Therapeutics, which is Dr. Bruce Perry's program. They have like a site finder on their website. So we'll usually look on there first because then we know that they're approach to healing and trauma and parenting is going to be really similar to ours if we don't know of a partner directly there, which sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. We are always looking to grow because there are kids that we believe 
deserve the best care and deserve the best therapeutic services everywhere. We've talked about Utah. I believe they've talked about North Carolina. So we will, I'm sure we will end up growing to some of those places. But as of right now, there are no concrete plans that I've been made aware of. That doesn't mean it's not happening. Okay, great. Well, that's all about Safi. And of course, put it in the show notes, but why don't you also list how people can kind of find the organization to look online, how they may even contact you or whoever they can contact as a representative. And then I'll just ask a couple more questions and then I think we'll be good to go. Awesome. So they can go to Safi.org on social media, on Facebook, it's Safi. On Instagram, it's Safi of America. To contact me directly, they can go to any of the Safi of Nevada pages, whether that's on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and they can reach out to me directly. Yeah, you'll be able to find a variety of ways to get involved, whether that's volunteering, donating, whatever that may look like. Great. Okay, just a couple more questions for you. So you are a busy mom and, you know, foster mom and all of these things that you do with Safi, how do you make time for your own self-care and what do you do to kind of fill your cup and to make sure you're in a good place to foster these children and to do the, all the work that you are? Um, I also go to therapy regularly. I think that's very important for anyone that's doing this kind of high stress, especially when you have the risk of secondary trauma in a job you need somebody outside to talk to so that's a big part and then my kids actually have occupational therapy at home every Sunday for like back-to-back three hours and so when the one kid isn't in another kid's doing something else which means that is three hours of complete alone time that I do whatever I want whether it's paint my nails or clean my room or whatever So basically you allow yourself that. And I, and I like that. And I like how you're honest and saying you go to therapy. I go to therapy as well. I think it's something, again, realizing and becoming a mom, how desperately it needed because of things that arise with certain things. What are your mom hacks or what do you, what systems do you have in place to make sure you're getting this stuff done? <laughs> I am probably dropping some ball at any given point. <laughs> You know, there's just different seasons and for different things. Right now, with it being Foster Care Awareness Month, while this is being recorded in May, it's Foster Care Awareness Month. So, yeah, so that's a busy time for us at work. And so this is a time where we're having chicken nuggets multiple times a week for dinner. (laughs) And that's just the reality of where we're at. When things settle back down, you know, we're doing trips and we're doing all that. I think it's just accepting that it's never going to be 100% across the board. You know, I'm never going to be 100% the best mom and the best employee and the best student. I might this week be 90 at Safi and, you know, 70 at parenting. (laughs) And, And it'll ebb and flow. And just accepting that that's life, I think has been really helpful for me to keep my sanity and reduce some of my stress. I think it's accepting your season you're in, absolutely, and saying, okay, this is what it has to be. It's not going to be forever. Let's get through this month. Again, having the open conversation with your children. To my listeners out there, if you are feeling like you're in a tough season, understand it is a season. Mm-hmm. And I think looking for that, what is it, the the thing at the end? The pot Light of gold, at the I end of the, the tunnel. Yeah, exactly. You know, of saying it's not going to be forever. I love how you you sum that up because it's so true. I think you go through the ebbs and flows, you know, it's not going to last. And then you kind of pivot and say, okay, now I'm a mom, mom hat, let me focus and then go back and forth. And I think that's what makes life beautiful. I think a lot of times as moms, we just put a lot of pressure on ourselves. It's just something that I think we might even just do more so as women. And then when we become a mom, it's just amplified. But yeah, so I love that. I love how you're like, yeah, this is where I'm in. This is what it is. And I think your episode is actually posting this month 
too. It might be just a few weeks away, so we might be able to Ooh, get it to awareness month. And I guess, what does that mean? Did it just bring awareness to it? Do you guys do like special events for it? Yeah, so we have a big social media push that we do for Foster Care Awareness Month. So we are really highlighting teens. Um, We don't share stories of teens that are actually in our care just due to privacy, but we've created a series of teen characters that are kind of representative of the things that we've seen. And so we're sharing those all throughout the month on all of our social media platforms so you can follow along. We usually start a new training class in May, which we're doing this time as well. So if you're interested in becoming a foster parent, reach out today, schedule an information session. That's the first step. The, you know, the worst you can do is call and say, oh, never mind. I don't want to do it. Nobody's going to pressure you into it. So I always say, just call, just call. It's fine. (laughs) And then we also do a celebration for our foster parents. So we're doing a big brunch and an appreciation event for our foster parents and then giving out awards to some of our superstar foster parents that have just kicked butt this last couple years, especially with COVID. This is the first time we're doing our appreciation brunch in person since 2020 or 2019, actually. So it's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, I would imagine so. And actually quickly before we we finish here, how did COVID affect the whole foster care thing? Were you guys still, I mean, life went on, right? So did you guys still try and maneuver during that? How was that? Yeah, I mean, we were still, foster care still happened, so we were still rolling. We did see a decrease in kids coming into care at the beginning of the pandemic, and then when kids started going back to school and weren't around mandated reporters, we hit a huge spike, and we're still, I think, recovering from that big spike, just because that isolation when it's partnered with things like neglect or abuse or whatever, and it just festered during that isolation, we're seeing behaviors that are maybe more extravagant than they would have been or more extreme than they would have been before. But, you know, they're kids. We're doing our thing. We're, we're making it work. We've still had foster parents get licensed in this process. Yeah. We've had kids go into homes, be reunified, be adopted. All of that has happened through COVID nonstop. <laughs> Yeah, it's so fascinating. And again, thank you to Safi and for all the work that you that you're doing, because, yeah, you know, to be a child, I would imagine and having to be separated from your family has got to be the most difficult thing that any child could go through. Like, I think about it just randomly with my son. I'm like, God forbid, if something happened, like the devastation, the fear. And I think if, if we can we can normalize that and say, hey, look, they're going through it, too, I think would would go a long way. Yeah, I think a lot of people assume Like, oh, well, they won't miss their parents because their parents did whatever they did to, yeah, people will tell me this. They they don't think that the kids will miss their parents because their parents did something to lose them. It doesn't matter. Those are, (laughs) that was their parent. That's what they knew. Even if those parents were some of the most egregious behaviors you've ever heard of, even in those circumstances, those kids knew that as normal. They knew that as mom and dad. They knew that as stability. And so being removed from that, even if you go from the worst circumstances to the best, you're still, you know, a 15 year old who's moving in with strangers that operate completely different than everything you've ever known. And that is terrifying. And so I think just being really cognizant of the fact that family will always be family. (laughs) And when you're fostering and when you're adopting, you are growing your family, not just by that child, but by their family as well. That network is now your network. (laughs) 
that's so powerful and it's so true it's like yeah even it's like yeah think of the culture shock think of everything and even to your point and even if they do know like you said even if it's the most difficult the most egregious thing you can think of they're still going through that of knowing that wow i'm going through this then you put them even if it's under the best circumstances but they're still having to actively within that moment kind of sit and kind of be like, wow, I just went through whatever and process exactly everything of that. So again, that's another good point. And that's, I think what people think of when they think foster care is like the most egregious circumstance, but most of our kids aren't coming from that. Most of our kids are coming from parents who are full of love and well-meaning and just don't know. We see a lot of kids who were raised in the foster care system that now have kids that are in the foster care system. So they never had stable parenting modeled for them. They were bounced from house to house. So how are they supposed to offer that to their kid? And so for us to provide those additional supports to the biological parents so that they can really break that generational cycle for their families so their kids can go back and be safer and stay home. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's awesome. And again, thank you so much, Caitlin, for for sharing your story of your experience and all the wonderful things that Safi is doing. I'm so happy that we connected. And yeah, thank you. Any other final thoughts before we part ways here? I think I've rambled enough. <laughs> that's it. But I really appreciate the time. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Have a great night. Thank you for joining me this week on the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, NGC Consulting, where you can find them at nicolegconsulting.com. For more motherhood resources, check out themotherhoodvillage.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or recommendation to a friend works too. And join us next time for another amazing conversation. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.